with a prophecy by Pastor Mitchell. Thought within your own self and in those things round about to see the hand of the Lord your God move. You sought to see deliverance. You sought to see liberation. Surely the Lord your God is mighty to deliver and mighty to save. Yes, even within your own being, there is a desire in the heart of God to bring a shackling, a releasing of the shackles, and a deliverance of that which binds. But within you, there is not the consecration, saith God. Yea, know ye not that the Lord your God has wrought, yea, he's even called and sought, he's dealt with thee. Thou hast not answered, and thou hast not paid the price. But if you will hear the voice of the Lord your God, if you will this day lift up your heart, lift up your hands, lift up your soul, then shall God be found. Yea, if thou shalt find within you a seeking with all your heart, then shall the Lord your God release within you that wellspring of life. You shall find deliverance. You shall find deliverance and liberation. You shall find liberty, not only within, but without. For the Lord your God looks for a heart that seeks in fullness and in spirit. If you want to turn back, Hosea, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Old Testament prophet. Praise God. Joel chapter 2. Book of Joel chapter 2. One of the things that was most impressive to my wife and I as we were privileged to go into the uh, Middle East and go into the Holy Land was a massive uh, religious edifices, the churches of several different uh, persuasions that stood in that land and they were empty. They were nothing more than museum pieces. And there they stood with hordes of tourists going through them of no purpose whatever to reach mankind today. But they were empty of the fervor and the life and the power of God that had it evidently one time touched in some of the areas and brought a body of people together, moved people to the things of eternity and enabled them to raise up a building or religious edifice to house a body and a congregation of people. I was reading an article recently in the paper that told of the selling of churches in England by the uh, Anglican Church. And in this article, there was the information that since April of 1969, the Church of England alone have declared 154 churches redundant. What that means is they're unnecessary or they're surplus. And in these churches were being built 
plumbing, warehouse, uh, display, and hardware. There were bars being built in some of them. Some people were buying them and building apartment buildings in them or turning them into apartments. Others for homes. Some for granary storage and various and sundry purposes. Places that at one time seen the power and the fervor and the flame of God now is no more than simply a building to be used as, uh, as uh, uh, mankind desired. And this article said that not only this, but 150 others were being considered for the same fate, just in the Church of England alone, and potentially there was anywhere from 500 to 3,000 that were almost at the same place. Now, friend, simply because you and I sit this morning in a building where the Spirit of God is moving, where we're seeing people get saved, where workers are being raised out of our midst, uh, where the fire and the vision of evangelism does not mean that should Jesus tarry in the next generation that that will be so. For every day as we arise, there's a challenge that God lays upon us to keep the supernatural power of God moving in our midst. I don't care whether we stay 20 or 30 generations, should Jesus tarry, but there rests upon us. As God's family, the responsibility to constantly keep stirring revival, to keep the power of God moving, to keep a supernatural presence of the Lord at work at all times. Not only this, but daily we face challenges that come before us that are beyond our capability, and if anything is going to be accomplished, there has to be a miracle of God's hand. See, we're facing this morning, Friday evening, for those of you who are visiting this morning, Friday evening, we consecrated two new families to open new pioneer works in areas where there is a need for the preaching of the gospel. Bob and Sandy French and their family to be sent into Chandler and to, from the ground up, no facility, no place to live, Nothing there but to go in and to raise up a work of God. That's a tremendous challenge. At the same time, the Ron Jones family to go into the city of Sierra Vista, Arizona, and there face the same circumstances, the same challenge, and the same need. On top of all of this, God is blessing us locally. There are being added to the body growth and increase. And we face pushing out this wall some 60 feet to enable a nursery, adequate nursery facility, and another 144 people to be seated over there. That's going to cost a vast sum of money. At this time, Tom and Cindy Drought are in Phoenix picking up a young Pakistani to bring him here to be trained for six months to go back into Pakistan and there in Pakistan to start a work of God that would bear the same mark and imprint that he might reach his people for Jesus Christ. See, we're talking about 
pressures that are coming. You simply don't just go into a program and everything just flows and functions and you don't have to worry about it. The mechanics will take care of themselves. My friend, in, in, only in these three endeavors alone, we're facing battles on every front. We're facing the, 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 the need of supernatural suppliance and finances. We're facing the need of battles in the spirit, battles in the flesh, battles in organization, battle in administration, battle on every hand. We must have God working miracles. Now, one thing that will keep us in tune with God, that will keep us in a place where we are humble before God, and as, as nothing else will touch the supernatural realm, is the practice of fasting. And it would be easy for us to just lay back for three or four weeks and say, Praise God, we had a conference. <laughs> I tell you, the boys are doing the job. Got the new carpet in. The fire damage is all erased. Let's just lay back and relax and so, take your ease. You've got goods laid up for many days. Amen. But I feel an urgency in my spirit. God spoke to me several weeks ago. That this Sunday I was to challenge you, and a lot of these things that I'm talking about this morning were not solidified. But God had already spoken to me concerning this service this morning and told me what he wanted me to do and what he wanted me to speak. And they gave me the very date and the time that I was to challenge you to this subject of consecration again. Joel 2, verse 12 through 18. Let's read responsibly. I'll read verse 12. You read verse 13. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn you even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, and those that suck the breasts. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. jealous for his land and pity his people. I want to talk to you for a few minutes concerning the, pra fact, uh, the practice of fasting. In the Old Testament, there are a number of specific instances. You're familiar with the story of David when the child that was born of Bathsheba Sheba, was stricken with illness. But you see, David and his generation knew that God could be reached for miracles, even sometimes to change his mind in disease. And so David fasted seven days, lay before the Lord, 
and laid hold of God in prayer and humbled himself and besought God in prayer and fasting because his generation and his believing uh, brethren knew that God could be touched and one sure way of touching God when all else fails is to fast and pray. And so we have that instance found in the Old Testament of David fasting and praying to touch the heart of God. Jehoshaphat, you know the story in Second Chronicles. News was brought to him. They're all around him. The Ammonites, the Moabites, the children of Mount Seir, they came to Jehoshaphat and said, Jehoshaphat, we're in deep trouble for these people around us. There's a great army. Listen, they're camped out in Gidei, and if we don't, something, we, what are we going to do? The scripture didn't say Jehoshaphat said, Well, <clears throat> call Angela's temple. <laughs> Call up Dr. Van Cleve in the Southwest District office and see what he has to say. Amen. Says Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a man that knew how God functions and knew how God works. And the Scripture says, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord even out of all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. See, when you get in trouble, friend, and you need a miracle, and you need God to move in a realm beyond your own energies, and you get desperate enough, the Bible says in the Old Testament that these people knew that God could be touched in fasting and in prayer. Now, this is a biblically sound practice. The Scripture that we read says, Turn you to me, even unto me with all your heart, with fasting. When Jesus came and began to minister... John's disciples came out to his disciples and others round about began to question them and they said, listen, we've been watching John the Baptist's disciples and John's disciples fast often. We've been watching you guys and you don't fast at all. How come? And Jesus said, because we're having a party. The bridegroom's with them. And how can the children of the bride chamber fast when the bridegroom is with them, but he says there's going to be a day when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then shall they fast in those days. Jesus said it's not time at the moment, but he said there's going to be a time, and then they're going to fast in those days. Jesus fasted 40 days before he entered into his ministry in the wilderness of Judea uh, near the Mount of Temptation, and there as he fasted 40 days, he was tempted of the devil, and then when he was finished with that, the Bible says these words, Jesus then returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee. And immediately, a supernatural ministry of the Spirit of God began to accompany the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ at that time. In the early church, we have written for us that Paul, the apostles, and Peter... James and John, 
And all of these practiced in new, and the Scripture says these words, uh, uh, and uh, when they had ordained elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they had believed. Paul speaks in Corinthians of being in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, and he speaks in another place of being in fastings often. The biblical practice of fasting is a practice that is in the Bible, both the Old Testament and in the New. It has always been practiced among a people that felt the impulse of the Spirit of God. And without that practice, my friend, there's a dimension that is missing in the kingdom of God. Now, you say, what, what, listen, Pastor, <laughs> some of you are getting hungry already. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it wonderful how our flesh functions? Praise God. The moment somebody starts preaching, see, you know what's coming. The moment somebody starts preaching like this, your backbone starts getting gnawed on by your, your belly button, and you say, My God, I can hardly get out of here so I can go eat somewhere. <laughs> Oh, we say, listen, I'm so spiritual. Listen, I want you to know that when I pray, the heavens quiver. I got that unction and that anointing. Oh, I'm so spiritual. But let's let somebody mention fasting, and your stomach starts going. And that lets you know how really, really spiritual you really are. <laughs> Amen. Still with me? Fasten your seatbelts. Let's go for a little ride. Okay. Dick Gregory. I got a little quote from Dick Gregory here a while back. And, and you know who Dick Gregory is? He's, he's a comedian and he's a TV personality. And so uh, uh, every once in a while he goes on a fast. And uh, I got a little article I clipped out on him. And, and uh, he's mad at, uh, at the United States government. And uh, in this article, at this particular fast, he promised... To fast until a thorough, honest, and satisfactory congressional investigation of the Central Intelligence Agency had been conducted and he named a half a dozen. He said, I'm going to fast until these guys act. Boy, he's going to get hungry, I'll tell you. <laughs> but anyhow, what his thing is, is not spiritual at all. Dick Gregory, because he has personality and because he has status, the moment Dick Gregory fasts, somebody calls up the newspaper and they come running up there and write a big article. Dick Gregory's fasting and so spotlight and attention is poured on the circumstance of the hour. He fasts to bring pressure on public officials. But you see, the Christian has a completely different purpose for doing such things. We seek a move of God. Amen. Not so much that God doesn't want to move and God is reluctant to move, but there are qualities in us and there are circumstances in the spiritual dimension whereby God cannot move until there has been a certain quality that's fulfilled and transpires on the human level. But we have found that when men and women will lay hold of God with fasting and with prayer, then God hears and answers prayer in a dimension that they never did before. Someone was talking to Archbishop Temple, 
And he was talking about prayer. He said, prayer works. And God answers prayer. They said, listen, tell me one instance. So he was telling them an instance. And they said, oh, that's just a coincidence. <laughs> Archbishop Temple said, well, whether it's a coincidence or not, I don't know. The only thing I know that when I pray, coincidences happen, and when I do not, they don't happen. <laughs> Amen. You see, in this realm of the Scripture, the Bible tells us that there is an extra dimension that responds desperate cases. There's an extra dimension. My friend, prayer, everybody ought to pray. Prayer works anytime prayer moves. But there is an extra dimension that is reached and an extra dimension that happens when you and I fast as we pray. And the Bible says, Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine inheritance to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? See, Israel had become a hard case. Israel was in a state that just normal prayer and just normal spiritual mechanics weren't working, weren't cutting the mustard, as we say. And so there was a need for a, 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 a another dimension to come down, and, and it spells out in Joel. You read it there, man, there's a description that'll, that'll curl the hair on your head of how the condition of these people. They were a desperate case. It's like, it's, it's like a chainsaw. You can take a chainsaw out here and get it all whetted up and filed up and uh, lay it on one of them juniper trees and then... Boy, they'll just go to town till you... Until you dip it too low and it hits a little of that malapine. <laughs> Amen? You put her back on there and uh, it no longer goes just uh, kind of groans and grunts and whines and, and uh, friction not too good wearing out them trees. Take one of them good old McCullers and lay it on a little of this old mesquite. Some of this oak. you find out that that chainsaw that worked good on juniper on oak and after a few shots you got your file back out again and you're filing a blade again. Hard cases. Works fine on juniper. Eat that cedar right off. Or you can just chop that stuff in them 18 inch slugs and throw it in. You start working on that oak, brother. You got to get your file out because that oak is made out of a little different material and it doesn't respond to that old McCullough chomp. Amen. So it is in the spiritual realm. Sometimes, friend, we can pray and things move tremendously, but sometimes things get to be a little harder case and we've got to get the file out. Sharpen up the blade just a little. Get it down in a little different dimension so that we can do a lot better job. Can you say amen? See, the Bible says that there is a heart condition that you and I can come to in fasting and prayer that adds a dimension and it moves God and the scripture says as for me David said when they were sick my clothing was sackcloth I humbled my soul with fasting see what do you do that for you mean to tell me that when he prayed nothing happened and, and he got down and started 
humbling his soul and started fasting and then he knew that that was the answer to God yesterday. Because the condition of our heart is a thing that moves the hand of God. God is always active. God wants to move far worse than we want him to move. But you see, there are spiritual blasphemy, you're a reproach, you're full of sex perversion, you're full of unrighteous idolatry, you're rebellious, you're a reproach on the earth, and God's got your number. And what he's going to do, he sent me down here, Jonah said, I don't have anything to do with this, but God sent me, and he said, he's going to clean the slate on you guys, all I'm doing is delivering a message, Jonah said, repent or you're going to perish. Read it, it's the book of Jonah. Oh, that God's just a God of love. Yeah, He is. And His love sometimes gets down inside of us and gives us enough sense to repent. Do you know what the people of Jonah did? They didn't do like a lot of our generation are saying. Yeah, I know. Those four squares over there, those Pentecostal, bunch of holy roller fanatics, bunch of emotionalism. They just get all excited talking about second coming of the Lord Jesus. All emotional, rotten, caught up. That's all right. They just, they just a little off, and and uh, if they get too bad, why well, we'll step on them and we'll give them some trouble or try to burn their building down and throw them in jail. We'll do something to them. We'll, 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 we'll put some pressure on them. See, they were bad kids too. Jonah's generation that lived in Nineveh. But you know what the Bible says? They heard Jonah's words. And the scripture says this, So the people of Nineveh believed God. And they proclaimed a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. And the king of Nineveh caused word to be proclaimed. And he said, Let neither man, nor beast, nor herd, nor flock taste anything. Let them not taste uh, uh, food nor water. And God saw their works, uh, and they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. Now, fasting normally is not with the, the loss of drinking of water, especially not in any extended period. But uh, in this case, it was a case, and they said, Look, we heard what God said, and if this is life and death, and if God means business, and we believe he does, the king sent out a proclamation and said, if this is so, then we better turn the tide of divine intent. And he proclaimed a fast. And the scripture says that God took them in hand. And the scripture says, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. Or in other words, here's a hard case. See, there's some of you sitting out there. You're hard cases. Some of you have relatives, husbands or wives that are hard cases. I'm going to tell you something that the hard cases respond to, friend. They respond to something that God does in your heart. 
If you will humble yourself before God, many times you can make intervention for those that are in spiritual trouble within your own framework and your community and household. See, there's a testimony that goes out from this, not only by the Bible, but also by experience. Our generation is a generation that needs reality. I was reading in the Prescott Courier some time ago an article talking about influences that blank out the transcendent God. Now, this used a lot of, a lot of Joe College language, and that's all right. We'll translate it on down to Arkansas-E so you can understand it. And so, <laughs> amen. And so, uh, transcendence means that you're out in another dimension, something outside of yourself, or something that is in the phenomenal of the spiritual realm. And so the gist of this article is that the influences of our generation have blanked out the transcendent God. It's all right to believe in God as simply a principle, but to believe in God as a spirit being that reigns and rules and is active in human affairs. No, 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 no. You know, it's not. It's not you know, it's, uh, that's uh, archaic and it's unenlightened. The transcendent God, says sociologist Peter L. Berger. He says a lot of other things, but he says this. He says these official reality definers, the intellectuals and would-be intellectuals, have imposed on Western minds a so-called modern scientific worldview that sees the cosmos only as a cold mathematical design. This prevailing attitude has little to do with genuine science, he says, but it has become the built-in, overruling assumption of the present-day reality police. The reality policemen, teachers, psychiatrists, commentators, and the like, watch over the cognitive boundaries of the culture, he adds. In their perspective, transcendence in its historical form is viewed as contraband goods. Or in other words, if a kid stands up in your class and says, God is, he says, shut up, you're not enlightened. Oh, he doesn't do it that way. He uses the shillelagh in a very refined way. Or if he gets a kid in his class that believes in God, then he suddenly makes that his calling in life. Before that kid gets out at the end of the semester, he's going to make him an agnostic. Follow me? That's what he said there in that paragraph. Okay. <laughs> Such aberrations are promptly excommunicated intellectually, and the psychiatrists have at hand a full-blown syllabus of errors for this purpose, as do language analysts and other assorted ideologists of cognitive status quo. This is why turning out of our learning institutions are those who are pseudo-scientific. They're not scientific. They're not even... They don't even have good sense. All they've got is an education in certain lines. Who reject the reality of a God of power and miracle and blessing and everything that happens they want to explain away in rational language as all oh, that it's got psyched out or, or this is just a little, uh, little, little curious effect of a certain, but it'll wear off, you know, and, and, and thank God for it, but it just, it'll wear off, and don't, no, don't get excited, don't try to build, uh, the, 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 don't, and above all, don't believe it, that's what the God says, that God says, don't believe that, God says, repent, be saved, man comes up saved, changed, 
quits running around with everybody else's wife, quits drinking whiskey, eating dope, quits cussing, starts living straight, and uh, say, what happened to him? He got saved. Oh, no, 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 that ain't what, no, you know, he just, <laughs> praise the Lord, okay? Why, right, these people, friend, must see reality. This is why we must see people delivered and healed. Saved and cleansed that become actual testimonies of the gospel that we preach. And the only way that that's going to happen is that we have reality in our hearts and in our lives, in our assemblies, in our fellowship. Fasting produces phenomena, friend of mine, that cannot be explained. The Bible says, Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. God says, here's what you do. God says, here's what works. And he says, if you will do that, then here's what I'll do. I'll move in your midst. I'll move in your land. I'll have mercy upon the people. I'll work miracles, and you're going to see something happen that the pseudo-intellectual will be unable to explain. They can try all day, but they'll never be able to explain it. See, Ezra was going into the land of Israel. It'd be like, it'd be like, uh, it'd be like being over in, uh, in Kuwait. That's, that's the, the area in the general region where Babylon was there in the upper Persian Gulf. Band of Jews today, imagine it now, right now today, all of a sudden band themselves together, take all the money and goods and cattle and children that they had, and start a caravan back to Palestine or Israel today. And have to move right through Syria. <laughs> <laughs> with old Yasser Arafat with his six-gun on him hanging there grinning. Can you imagine that? Get the feel of it now? All right, Ezra was facing that exact situation. Here he is in, in Babylon going back into the land of Israel, and as he goes back, here's old Yasser Arafat hanging on the sideline. He makes his living doing nothing but ripping off people that are traveling through his turf. The Bible says in Ezra, the eighth chapter, when they were faced with that circumstance and situation, Ezra had been a testimony. He told the king, he said, look, we serve God. We want to go back to, 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 to Jerusalem and build God a temple. And he said, you know, that God is the greatest God. He's the only God. He's the only true God. He's powerful. He's majestic. He's glorious. He works miracles. He works in the behalf of his people. He's a supernatural power and he's a glorious God. Boy, he, if you believe in him, he becomes personally related to you and he'll do a number for you. Amen. He'll go right. Boy, he's, he's tremendous. So the king said, good. You can go with my blessing. Gave him some money, gave him his blessing, gave him the paper and he started on his way. And Ezra started and the king said, look, there's some bad dudes in there. Oh, yes, there Arafat's hanging over there on the sideline. I heard some bad news about him and he's going to rip you off. Let me give you, I've got several uh, companies of soldiers, and, and they're armed, and, and horsemen, and, uh, and, and, uh, and they've got good crossbows and good armory, and we'll send them, and, and they'll get you past and get you into the land safely. I'll be glad to do that because you've been faithful to me. Ezra said, no, 
We don't need those. Say, God will get us in there. Said, Our God's alive. He's powerful. He's mighty. You don't need any of that kind of stuff. So they all waved goodbye and, and um, had their fellowship and went on their way and he just barely got out of sight. And he called a stop to the whole shot by the river of Heva. said, hold it. We're going to make it in. We're going to have to have a miracle of God. And he said, I've got enough sense to know that just simply because we believe in God doesn't mean no yes or Arafat is going to lay over and resign. Say, oh, well, you're going in. Well, that'd be fine. Go right ahead. I love Jews. <laughs> Ezra said, if we're going to make it in, God's going to have to work. He called a halt, and the Bible says in Ezra, the eighth chapter, I proclaimed a fast there that God would make a right way for us and for our cattle, our families, and our children. They fasted and prayed there for three days by the river, and then they continued on their way, and God were miracles and they came into the land unarmed. Friend, the Bible says that Esther, when she was queen replacing the king to queen to Azurius, let your soul king. There he was, and it was a critical life or death situation. This lecherous old king, he had certain times when he brought women in, and these were his wives, and he, he brought them in. Strict law. They had rules and regulations. He didn't care. He made his, he made his former wife do a go-go dance in front of all the, the big biggies. She said, I don't do nothing of the kind, and she got bounced. He got rid of her. So here's Esther. She's breaking one of the vital laws of this lecherous old king. But you see, she knew God. She laid hold of God. And her and her maidens fasted. She said to Mordecai, you and all the children of Israel fast. And they fasted and prayed, laid hold of God, and God changed that lecherous old king's heart. Your husband hard case? You try that. <laughs> Amen. Your wife a hard case? Why don't you try fasting and prayer? You see what God will do in the realm of the supernatural. Because, man, when you change a person's heart and intent against everything that they do and everything that they've been doing, I want you to know it's a miracle of God, but God's in the miracle business. Can you say amen? Anna, the providence. Serve God with fasting day and night in the temple. They brought the baby Jesus in to be dedicated. When all of Israel was looking for a king riding on a white horse with a great army, here she steps in. She serves God with fasting and prayer. As she steps in, the Spirit of God is on her. She picks up the baby, prophesies over it. She recognized him as the Messiah when he's a tiny baby in a, in a, just in a little blanket when, the, when, the, when all of her nation was looking for a king riding on a white horse with a great army. Her spiritual acuity was such that the Spirit of God was upon her. 
She looked beyond her eyes and saw where the penetration of the Spirit because she served God with fasting and with prayer. And then, lastly, the Bible says that Jesus, when his disciples were there and they had a demon-possessed boy that cast himself into the fire and, uh, and he had fits of, of, of possession and the disciples could not cast him out. Although they had authority to cast him out, they could not accomplish the job. Jesus laid hold on him, delivered him, brought him whole to his daddy. And the disciples said, Why could we not cast him out? And he said these words, This kind goeth not forth, but by prayer and by fasting. While our heads are bowed, and our eyes are closed this morning all over this building, and no one's moving around just for a moment, I tell you, my friend, God is a reality and God is real. His power and His grace, His blessing and His mercy moves in the hearts of men and women and brings glory and grace to His name and to Himself. And He is present in this place this morning. This wonderful Savior that we serve, Jesus shed His blood on Calvary. Jesus was buried. Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God. Jesus has accomplished for us legally and technically in the realm of God. Everything that needs to be accomplished, the Lord Jesus has accomplished for you and I. He's accomplished it. But there are some here this morning that have not received this wonderful gift of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. People are here this morning that are unsaved. People are here this morning that have not received. People are here that have received that are backslidden or walking in misery and in sin this morning. I want you to know God loves you. Jesus died for you and shed his blood, but you must accept that free gift. While we're praying in this building, I wonder how many there would be all over this building. You'd say, Pastor, this morning I believe what you say. I believe that God's a reality. I don't understand it all, but I believe. And I need God in my heart right now, and I want to receive Jesus as my Savior, and I want that experience within. I want to go out of here cleansed from the guilt of sin and free. And I want to do that this morning. Would you lift your hand very quickly up and right back down? How many will there be all over this congregation? Just a signal to God and to me. I see that hand. How many more? I see that hand. How many more? I see that hand. How many more? I see that hand. Amen. Lift your hand very quickly up and right back down and say, I need God. I see it, son. How many more? Lift your hand up and say, I need God, preacher. And I believe, but I'm not right in my heart with God. But I want to go out of this building clean. I want to go out of this building saved. I want to go out of this building free. I know God loves me. I know God's been dealing with me, but this morning, preacher, I just, I just need God. Would you pray for me before you conclude this, sir? Would you slip your hand quickly up and right back down and say, I need God, your backslider. Amen. You need the Lord. Maybe you've known the Lord but at one time, but this morning you're just in misery. You're just not happy. You're just in turmoil, and it just seems like nothing comes together. I want you to know if you get saved and get your heart right with God, things begin to work, friend. Would you lift your hand right up and join these others and say, Yes, I need God this morning, Pastor. Pray for me. Would you pray for me? I need God. 
I don't want you to end this service until you pray for me. I need God. Flip your hand up, friend. Take this decision. Act on the Word of God. God says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God says, You draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. You're here this morning, friend. There are backsliders. There's a number of backsliders all over this building. God's dealing with you. But you've got to take that first step. See, you can't do it on the sidelines. You can't do it out the back door. You've got to do it. God's dealing with you right now. He wants you to make that decision. And if you'll make it, God will be real to you, and He'll solve the affairs of your life. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down and say, Yes? All right, I see that hand. Amen. How many more? I've known God. But I'm away from God this morning. Pray for me, preacher. I need God all over this building. Yes. Yes. Oh, there's a conviction and a love of God right in this building. God's dealing. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. No one's moving around just for a moment. The tender spirit of the living God is moving right here in our midst. Now, while our heads are bowed and every eye is closed and no one's looking around... I want you to look at me. Every one of you that raised your hand, I want you to look me right in the eye, right where I am. You meant that, didn't you? Amen. You meant that, didn't you? You meant that, didn't you, son? Back in the back there, would you, would you look at me right in the eye? You meant that. Amen. And I want you to get right up out of your seat and come down here. I want to pray with you. Right up out of your seat. Every, I want you to get right up out of your seat. There are others that lifted your hand. Get up right out of your seat. Come down here. I want to pray with you. Right now, while the Spirit of the Lord is convicting you, kneel right down here. God's going to help you this morning. He's going to meet your need. And this isn't all either. There's more that raised your hand. And there's more this morning that need to make this decision. Right now, just kneel right here. Right here. Somebody's going to come pray with you. I need a woman or a girl right here. I need a man right here. Amen. God's not through here. There's still people that are convicted in your spirit. There's still people here that have raised your hand. You feel a need of God. And I'm not doing this to embarrass you. But you must feel the work that God begins in your heart. And you must feel it while the conviction of the Holy Spirit's on you. And He's dealing with you in love this morning. And He doesn't want to leave you in the condition that you are. But He desires to bless your life and make you whole. Now we're going to stand and sing that chorus. He's all I need. He's all I need.